welcome my listeners to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for, I think it's nine years now. I realize some shows I say eight and sometimes I say nine. I'm going to have to actually stop and count one day. Well, um, I believe that myself and my wonderful guests are here speaking for those with no voice, speaking truth to power, speaking new ideas uh, that we hope will change the world. We're sharing news of the cognitive minority as we begin to manifest a new normal for the quality of life for the 99%. And I'm pretty sure that's probably you, and I know it's definitely me. Well, I want to uh, give a shout-out to Elaine Silver. Uh, she's a new artist uh, that uh, I'm highlighting here on the show tonight. That snippet was just a little tease from her cut, Lady of the Lake. I hope you'll take a moment to Google Elaine Silver and check out her music online, uh, as I hope you will every week with the wonderful artists that are kind enough to uh, allow me to use their music to um, enhance the show a bit for your listening pleasure. And tonight I have an exciting guest for you, the talented storyteller, artist, mask maker, Lauren Rain, discussing Masks of the Goddess, Face of the Divine Feminine with Masks, Story, and Ritual Theater. Something a little different that we haven't had before, so I'm really excited. We'll delve into the how and why masks are used in sacred manner, how artists are myth makers for our, our culture, uh, the psychology of masks and ritual. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and it just might make you see ritual a little bit differently or maybe encourage you to do ritual a little bit differently. Afterwards, by popular demand, I'm going to be reading a short essay of mine titled, I Can Hear Her Breathing, and I bet you know who the her is. Uh, we talk about the divine feminine a lot here, maybe mostly as archetype and ideal. Well, that uh, reading that I'm going to share is mostly uh, in the esoteric genre uh, because I'm really referring to deity, not an archetype, not an ideal, but the real thing up there all around us. So stay tuned uh, after my interview with Lauren, and um, I think you'll enjoy I Can Hear Her Breathing. Uh, but first, a few announcements, and then we're going to jump in uh, to our chat with Lauren. Uh, if you're in the Lake Elsinore area on Sunday, February 8th, and that's near Escondido, uh, if down in Southern California. Uh, I've been invited up there. Uh, Deja Vu Oracles is sponsoring me. Uh, they've invited me to come to actually the city called Wildemore for an event they're calling Goddess Day at the Grove. And um, I'm going to be giving a talk, uh, talking about the relevance of the sacred feminine, uh, how her ideals um, really do provide the world with a with a you know more sustainable and balanced, fair, just, equitable future. Uh, we'll be doing some ritual. There will be some readings. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a, a lot of fun. So that's uh, February 8th. And you, it is required that you make an RSVP. So if you don't see the event posted on my Karen Tate Facebook page, be sure you email me and uh, I will put you in touch with Lady Brenda McCoy, who is actually one of the organizers and she's handling the sign-ups. And uh, March, you know what? Uh, March is right around the corner. We might not have hit 
February yet, but time flies, uh, as I'm sure you experience too. So I am just saying, save the date, uh, because we have some great things happening down here in Southern California. I, I hate to always tease my listeners who aren't here in this area, um, but you know maybe you'll find it inspiring, or maybe you are... Uh, traveling in the area. Uh, on March 14th, uh, we're going to be uh, having a sistrum-making class. Uh, the sistrum was the sacred ritual tool used by priestesses of Isis, Hathor, and Bast. Uh, the ancient priestesses believed they embodied goddess when they used the sistrum. Um, so that we're going to do a, a, a sistrum-making class, and they're made of wood and metal, and uh, the sistrum is really interesting. I believe it was Herodotus who said, when uh, the, when you shake the sistrum, when the goddesses shake the sistrum, they keep the energy of the universe flowing. So it's one of those things, you know, you want to have in your practitioner's toolbox. Um, I'm also uh, going to be sponsoring the first Joseph Campbell Roundtable beginning in Venice. Uh, that same day, um, on March 14th, and our first speaker is Dr. James Reedfeld. He's going to be talking about his new book, Artemis of the Ephesians, Her Mystery, Magic, and Sacred Landscape. Um, yes, he is an incredible expert on the subject. He's also the co-leader of our tour to Turkey in May. Uh, so if you really want to delve deeper into uh, the cult of Artemis, uh, you can actually use his book to um, uh, create a whole uh, practice, and you know he's going to be talking about it uh, at the at the Venice Library from the standpoint of a practitioner and an academic. Um, it really, and, and I say this, it you know with with, uh, with all sincerity, he is probably the foremost uh, authority on Artemis of the Ephesians, maybe even on the planet. So we're so lucky. Uh, to have him um, start off our roundtable series in Venice, also be co-leading the tour with me. And to take that another step uh, further, uh, he and I and some of our uh, Wisdom Circle folks, uh, we are actually going to have a book launch party for him down at the Goddess Temple of Orange County on March 28th. So if you're interested in ancient cultures, if you're interested in Artemis, Isis, Cabelli, Mary, Magna Mater, Hecate, because all of those goddesses, all of those aspects are actually embodied in Artemis of the Ephesians. Not Artemis Diana. This is Artemis of the Ephesians. It's a different essence. Then you're going to want to know uh, about the book. You're going to want to know about this book launch party because you know what? Besides having a book launch party, we are actually doing an authentic ritual for Artemis of the Ephesians, and we are using all the uh, ancient information that James has researched for the last 10 years to make this the most authentic Artemis ritual that can possibly be made. And we think it's probably the first time this is being done in public. So um, you don't want to miss that. And it's totally free. I mean, we are not even charging for that. So um, Mark your calendar. That's the 14th for the Sister Making class and the Joseph Campbell Roundtable, uh, giving the short talk on Artemis. And then the 28th is, um, is the actual ritual, and I believe James is going to give a short talk um, uh, before the ritual as well. 
And uh, speaking of the Goddess Temple, where that ritual is going to be held, um, I wonder if you've ever thought about becoming a member. Uh, Yeah, they are in Irvine, and uh, maybe it's... uh, not a place you get to as often as you'd like, but you'd have the distinct privilege of belonging to one of the only brick-and-mortar goddess temples on Mother Earth. Yeah, seriously, how cool is that? Um, I mean, you know, we send money to Emily's List, we send money to Greenpeace, we send money maybe to Kiva, um, you know, to, to Heifer, uh, international, all of these other worthy causes. Well, you know, think locally, especially if you're in California. Think about the Goddess Temple. Uh, and for $25 a month, uh, which is probably uh, tax deductible maybe, uh, you, you know, have that privilege. You know, you can say you are a member and you will uh, probably get discounts for events and learn about everything that's happening there. So if you want to know more about uh, what they do, uh, or if you're thinking of visiting soon, go to their website. It's goddesstempleofoc.com, and the OC is for Orange County. You know, they have a Venus Hour every Friday night uh, for uh, women and men. Uh, they have snacks, movies, networking, libations. Um, it's a great place to meet uh, like-minded folks. Um, the first through third Sundays are for women only, uh, but the fourth Sunday is for families. You can bring your kids. You can bring your uh, your male partner if your partner's male. And uh, I say that because at one point in the history of the temple, it used to be for women only for everything. But it has really shifted and evolved uh, with the times. It's also soon going to be an official museum and cultural center. Uh, It's in the process of, uh, of, of, of that right now. So uh, that will no doubt bring new activities and people to the temple. So, you know, you might want to be a part of that. You know, uh, you're, you'd be a part of history, I guess, or history. So don't miss it. And, um, you know, as I said, it's one of only a handful, a handful of actual brick-and-mortar goddess temples on the face of the planet. Yeah. And uh, last announcement before I get to Lauren. I want to thank her for her patience. Um, If you're near Nashville, see, I got something for the East Coast, too. Uh, If you're near Nashville, Tennessee, where they have that wonderful statue of Athena in uh, the Nashville Museum there, which is actually a reproduction of the the Athena Temple that's uh, in Athens, uh, this summer, there's going to be a goddess conference there. It's going to either be in June or July. So if uh, you want to be on our mailing list, if you want to know more about that, no doubt I will talk about it on occasion here as details start to uh, gel. Uh, but uh, you know, email me your name, and I will put you on the official list. Okay. So that about uh, does all our announcements, I think. And so we're going to go over to uh, to Lauren and uh, say hello. Uh, I will introduce you to her by way of her bio, and then we'll get going with our uh, our chat, which I trust will be very interesting. Lauren Rain, R-A-I-N-E, uh, studied sacred mass traditions in Bali, and in 1999 made 25 multicultural masks for the spiral dance and San Francisco as contemporary temple masks. The masks of the goddess traveled throughout the United States for 10 years. They were used by dancers, storytellers, ritualists, psychologists, and individuals. She taught at the 
Krupalu. I hope I got that right. Krupalu Krupalu. Uh, And was awarded an Alden Dell Fellowship for her work based on the Native American creatrix myth of Spider Woman in 2007. In 2009, she was resident artist at Henry Luce Center for the Arts at Wesley Theological in Washington, D.C. In 2015, she'll be bringing a collection uh, to the Goddess Conference in Glastonbury, also the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's another thing in Los Angeles. That's in October. And then, also in October, uh, she's going to be, myself included, we're going to be at the World Parliament of Religions in Salt Lake City, and I'm so glad she is bringing her masks there. And I really do want to say I found Lauren because last October I went to the Fellowship of Isis convocation up in Geyserville. It is a sacred site of goddess. It is one of the few places that has an Isis temple as well. And uh, I was the keynote speaker that year, and I was, I felt so so gifted to see some of Lauren's masks for the very first time. And one of the first thing I did as soon as I got home was I contacted her and she made two spectacular masks for me that I just feel so proud to wear. Um, they are just incredible. And you have to go look at her website. I wish there were a way for me to show you her work. Um, so you're so you so you're just going to have to go look yourself. And uh, her website is masksofthegoddess.com or her name Lauren Rain, and that's Rain with an E. Seriously, do yourself the favor. Give yourself a gift of going to look at this woman's work because you are just going to be spellbound. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show to talk about this. Well, thanks so much to you, Karen. And I would like to see you in those masks. (laughs) (laughs) I should take a picture and send you one next time. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about um, wearing one of the ones you made me because you made me two that are sort of Egyptian in theme, you know, sort of Isis-oriented. And Artemis and Isis were so close uh, in history, I'm coming to understand from from James Rietfeld. Uh, I'm playing the Hierophant in the Artemis ritual that's coming up in March. And I'm really, really tempted to wear one of those masks. So I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Oh, that's fascinating. Um, I would love to hear his, his talk and see his book. Well, you know he's so brilliant. I live in Tucson, Arizona, so it's uh, it's it's a little, a little bit of a ride. Well, you know, maybe we can get him to uh, to film one of his talks uh, or something, or his book. Um, his book is usually uh, sixty dollars, but um, right now you can actually get it on sale. I hear I'm, I'm doing a pitch for his book, but it's it's such it's such a spectacular book. Let me just say this, and then we'll you know, devote the rest of the the evening to your wonderful masks. Um, James's book is a piece it's it's a piece of art itself, I believe. I mean, I have never seen such a beautiful book. It's it's uh, a soft, you know, soft cover, but you open it up and it is filled with color pictures. The footnotes are in blue. The captions of the pictures are in green. He took all the pictures himself because he's traveled extensively researching this stuff. 
And um, for right now, you can either get the book cheap, um, well, half price on Amazon, or I'm helping him out uh, by selling uh, signed copies on my website for him because he actually doesn't have a web page of his own. You can go to my uh, my page, KarenTate.com, go to the Goddess Store page, and if you go all the way down to the bottom, you can use the last button down there to um, – you know, to make a payment to buy one of his books, and I will mail it to you and have him sign it before he mails it. If anybody's interested in doing that, please contact me. I will walk you through the steps. Uh, because right now that's the only way to get a signed copy of his unless you're down here in Southern California. And I'm telling you, um, you know, just as an, uh, a writer myself and as a practitioner and a scholar, I, I mean... It, it's such an incredible book because the practitioner can use it to really see how the cult of Artemis actually functioned. You can use the book to recreate it if you, you know, have the propensity to be an, you know, an Artemis priest or priestess. And the academic, I mean, he has stuff in this book that has never been published before because so much of it is in German, so much of it is in Dutch, so much of it is in uh, French, and so much of it he discovered himself. So I, I just can't say enough about the book. I, 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 I'm so amazed at his scholarship. So, <laughs> um, so that, that, that's that. But... Um, um, you know, he's actually going to be on the show in March before all of these big events, and I will let him speak for himself. But anyway, Lauren, I'm sorry, I digressed there. Um, I'm, I'm just so excited about the, the masks and the ritual, and um, you know, uh, and, and your incredible work. You you are just amazing. And why don't we start at the beginning? How did you get into mask making? Was that always something? you were called to do or did it did it come from was it some evolution well um actually i made a living for many years with the renaissance fairs and i became a mask artist um i i was a dancer i was doing things for shakespearean drama and i made a lot of masks for different performers and pretty soon i started selling them with a booth and um that of course led me to wonder about what masks were for, how, you know, to to question the history of masks and to want to deepen my understanding of the subject. So um, it just kept evolving. I went to Bali to study mask arts and uh, worked Now, why with Bali? Is there something about Bali that is, um, you know, that do they stand out for some reason, say, than another culture? Well, Bali, the artists of Bali are, are famous, they're magnificent. Um, Bali has a wonderful tradition of sacred masks, uh, what they call the temple masks or the special masks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I wanted to learn to carve masks, and I did work with several well known carvers there, uh, Itabagus Annome and others. Um, but I was very interested in the temple traditions and the idea of sacred mass. I had done some study about indigenous traditions, um, you know, the false face mass of the Iroquois and uh, all over what is, the world. What is that? What is the false face mask? 
Well, these are traditions for working with mass uh, among the Iroquois people. There's native. There's many different ways that uh, indigenous cultures use masks. Um, but one thing I will say is that pretty much all over the world and throughout history, history, <laughs> um, masks are viewed as sacred transformative objects. You know, we're the only culture that's really kind of lost touch with that idea. Um, when you go to Bali, uh, you can, you know, of course, you can buy masks, and um, the, you know, there are many wonderful mass shops for tourists. And but the Balinese have their special sacred masks that are kept in the temple, and there are special mask artists. They, they're ancestral. It's uh, women um, are not allowed to be mask carvers, so there are. Uh, a Brahmin caste of men who, you know, father to son, are the ones who create the mass and um, repair them. And when there's a mass performance, and of course they have different performances for different auspicious events, sacred events, sacred stories, they're Hindus, of course, um, they bring the mass out of a special area in the temple and they anoint them with holy water and the balayan, that would be the shaman, and they can be either male or female. Um, we'll prepare the mass and prepare the performer before the masks are put on. And then when the performance is over, they also sprinkle them with holy water and they say prayers and they sprinkle the performer to help the performer to devote, and the masks are carefully taken back to the temple. Wow. You know, I had no idea about any of that, you know, because I'm not a mask maker and, and I'm not an artist either. Uh, so this, I find this fascinating. And, you know, you're reminding me of something I uh, I read when we used to do the um, uh, ISIS rituals on the beach here for those 10 long years. And, you know, we tried to recreate them uh, as authentically as possible. So one year we were looking into the the ritual objects that priestesses used and that monot collar, that rounded collar that, you know, you see so often, as well as the sistrum. Um, I think it was Naomi Ozanic headed in her book, I think Priestesses of the Goddess or something. Uh, mm -hmm. She researched and it said that uh, when the priestesses wore that collar and used the the sistra or sistrum, um, they, you know, the priestess was thought to embody the goddess as she wore, uh, wore and used these two, you know, ritual accoutrements. Uh, you know, hearing you describe what they do in in Bali, um, it sounds like. I, I mean, are you are you saying you think that when they wear the mask that they are embodying a spirit or a deity or an essence? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in traditional cultures, masks are viewed as vessels for the gods or the goddesses. I mean, the mask is a transformative object, like the cistern, um, mm -hmm. like a special costume or a um, piece of jewelry that uh, is identified with your office as a priestess. Uh, the masks are infused with the energy of the deity. And so when you put the mask on, you are, in a sense, volunteering to uh, bring that, that deity in, to help that deity to be embodied on this plane of existence. And the masks were used, um, you know, to bring that energy of that goddess forth. 
wow, uh, which might be used to do a blessing for the people there. It might be um, that that person was, in wearing the mask, um, you know, had an oracular function. This is certainly mm. true of the priestess of Delphi. Right, right. There's a lot of evidence that she wore a mask, you know. So, um, yeah, the mask was a very uh, sacred, transformative object and not something to be messed around with. Wow. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, in our culture, you know, when we think of masks, isn't the first place, well, maybe not your mind because, you know, you're so entrenched in this you know, this beautiful tradition, but the average person, you know, when you think of masks, they probably think of Halloween masks, you know, this, you know, this sort of just funny kids holiday that it is to, you know, most people, I mean, unless you're, you think of, you know, Samhain and, and Hollows and oh, stuff, yeah. or Mardi Gras, the, you know. But the transformative impulse is still there. It's very deep in the human psyche. Yeah. And actually yeah. Halloween is a sacred day if you think about it. So in well, some kind of way, they're still responding to that, um, the sanctity of transformation. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, even though it's it's sort of a game um, on, a, on a very deep sort of primal psychic level, they are transforming into that clown or that ghost or that uh, princess uh, by virtue of... Well, they're of allowing an aspect... Oh, I'm sorry. They're they're allowing an aspect of themselves to come forth and, and express itself, which is another psychological benefit of the mask. Mm. Um, you know, the mask can can allow that energy of the archetype to come forth from you. You know, so um, I, I found this in working with. Um, you know, groups not so much in performance and ritual, but individuals who are making masks and exploring archetypes of the goddess. And um, let's say you have a woman who's who's heavy, you know, who, who is is insecure about how she looks. So she chooses to work in story, in dance, and in creating a mask um, for Aphrodite. In a sense, she's celebrating and bringing forth, invoking, you might say invoke it, to join with that archetype of the goddess of love within herself. And it can mm. be very effective. That, you know, and, and as I'm hearing you, you uh, speak about this, and it's so rich, um, I mean, this is, I, I really think this is just a level most of us don't think about. You know, we we sort of briefly talked before we went on the air about this a little bit. You know, I, I wonder if there are any psychologists who actually use masks in their practice to help people heal. You know, I'm not talking about the shaman or maybe the alternative practitioner, but, you know, sort of the you know, the more mainstream uh, shrink, if you will. I wonder, have you ever heard of, of using masks? Oh, sure, all over the place. <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, some of them use masks um, that they have collected. Uh, I have made masks for psychologists. Um, many do mask-making workshops. Um, there's a lot of different approaches to it. Um, I met a woman uh, at the uh, Goddess Conference I attended in Malibu um, in 2013 who lives in San Diego, and she does a lot of work with um, people in hospitals, cancer patients, making masks that um, 
Well, we we have a mask that we wear on the outside, and then we have another mask that is on the inside. And so she will make a series of masks to reveal that process of bringing out the inner. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this, I, I, but I do. I find it. Uh, I, I find it fascinating. You know. I mean, I know the times that I've worn masks in ritual. There was a liberation, uh, a sense of liberation about it. You know, you could suddenly let yourself drop away in a sense. You know. Um, and you can, it, it's almost as if you can reinvent yourself, or like you said, you can open yourself to uh, a part of yourself or maybe channeling an essence that, um, I don't know, that, that you can't do when you're when you're in ritual and everybody's looking at you. And, you know, I know that sounds crazy, but it's like you're on the spot in a sense, you know, and when you're, when you have the mask on, you you can almost i don't want to say hide behind it in a negative sense but it gives you sort of um i don't know you probably have the have the words more than i but it, you know it's it sort of um gives you like a uh, a sense of um distance or it's almost uh, i i don't know does that make any sense and, and, well, I, I think that when you put the mask on, especially when you work with archetypes of the goddess, and I, you know, I, I I I don't really like the word archetype so much because to me, um, like you said earlier, this is about deity, mm-hmm. and the deity within us, and the deity with, that's collective also. So um, archetype somehow it makes it sound so cold, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, when you put on a mask, especially in the context of bringing up a ritual and working with the mask as a tool for invoking that deity, um, you are bringing that essence in, you know, and and you feel it, and the group feels it. You know, I mean, we are not Greeks uh, 2,000 years ago with sacred mass. We're not Balinese bringing the mass out of the temple. But that sensibility is still within us. It's something universal, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, now, the Balinese, um, I think I heard you say that uh, men and women do it, so it's not a patriarchal thing. It's not just the men that get to embody the deity. Uh, well, uh, mostly it's male performers, but of course, yeah, there are women performers too. Uh, there are traditional stories. Uh, that are performed at certain times of the year. <coughs> of course, most people who've been to Bali run across the story of Rangda, who is the dreadful witch that lives in the um, cemetery, and there's this dreadful battle that goes on with uh, the Barong, which is kind of this uh, lion-dragon. And it's really about bringing balance between the forces of light and dark, which is very intrinsic to their religion. Um, you know, and the battle happens, and eventually the Rangda leaves and the Barong leaves, and balance is restored, although there's never this sense that anything is completely diminished or gone. Mm-hmm. So, so really, I mean, I think one of the takeaway points is, you know, the mask is so much more than something that 
allows the audience to distinguish the characters, you know, to know that, well, that is so-and-so and and that is so-and-so. I mean, it's something much, much deeper, in a sense, um, happening there. Um, I I think I recall, um, I forget the woman who played uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, in the movie, the oh, I can't think of her name right now. But it took so much uh, time to dress her, do her makeup, do her hair. She said that by the time they finished, she was that queen, you know. And I, I think you hear actors say that. Um, I guess so much more than the non-actor, you know, who doesn't get to experience experience that transformation, um, you know, where you actually, um, you know, become someone other than yourself. Well, masks can afford um, everyone that opportunity. Um, You know, in the context of ritual and working with the mass of the goddess, which I, you know, when I came back from Bali and I... um, I was working with the 20th Annual Spiral Dance, the Starhawk and Reclaimings Group, and um, they wanted something for the um, um, convocation of the goddess. And so I came up with this idea that I would make these collection of masks to represent different goddesses. Um, But, you know, right from the get-go, inspired, of course, by being in Bali, I conceived of this as a collection of contemporary temple masks that could travel. Um, so I think that, you know, when you work with the mass, particularly as a way of worship, as a way of bringing in the energies of the goddess, um, that's very powerful. Yeah. That can yeah. be a very powerful thing. Um, the women who have worked with the mass from the get-go, uh, from the 25 women who... Uh, used the first collection um, for the spiral dance, and they've traveled all over the place. They've been in New York and Ohio and Philadelphia. And you're so California trusting. And Southern you're, you're so trusting. Um, sending. You're so trusting. Sending these away and letting them be used. That's very generous. Well, I don't know that I really think of them as mine. I mean, there's plenty of things that are mine, um, but. You know, I think if you're going to create something um, that has a collective identity, you know, like like a collection of sacred mass, you have to let go of your ego a bit, you know? Right, right. Reminds me of Lydia Rule and her goddess icon spirit banners that she uh, sends, uh, sends all around the world as ambassadors, you know, of goddess. Yes. You know, yes, I know so, Lydia. She's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're so lucky to have women like you and her in the community, so talented and, and generous and dedicated. Well, you had some quotes of some of the women who uh, who wore the masks. Did you want to share some of those quotes? Uh, yeah, I have um, quite a. Actually, I have several books of, <laughs> of different quotes. Um, uh, but um, I, I have some wonderful quotes from people who have worked with the Mass. Traditionally, uh, when we're bringing up a ritual theater performance, uh, the women will choose to work with a particular goddess. They will take the mask home and put it on their altar, and they will be with the Mass for sometimes up to three months. And um, so by the time we bring the performance up, 
um, they have really had an experience of uh, working with that deity, working with that goddess. Um, let me see what I've got here. Oh, well, here's a woman who worked with Hecate. Um, she did a performance in 2002 and used the Hecate mask. I found her words very moving. She says, quote, I remember lighting a candle each day to symbolize my commitment to my journey through the despair that I felt at menopause. Hecate holds, holds the light, holds the torch to guide us out of the dark. That's what Hecate is to me. She will not help you to avoid a thing, but she will bear a light for you on the path, which is really the path to mature empowerment. I believe that at certain passages in our lives, our souls cry out, I want to get rid of this. I want to move on. And that's Hecate's country. Mm. That's beautiful. Here's so a now woman. When... Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just looking at another quote here. Um, a woman named Karina Maccabee, who danced uh, with fire yet, uh, the Pele mask. I've actually made a number of Pele masks. I'm, uh, Pele seems to keep changing the face in my imagination that she wears. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we started out initially, because we always work in a circle, and the performances are brought up as a collaborative um, endeavor. Um, we started out with the Hawaiian legends, and um, one day she came and she said, "No, no, this is this is not right. Pele's way beyond just being Hawaiian. She's a great elemental force." <laughs> now, I'll, uh, I have her quote here. She says, "Pele is about the great elemental builders of our planet. Long before people walked upon any lands." The creatrix of Kilauea brought forth islands from the earth's hot, molten core, slowly cooling through the ages. Human beings are recent arrivals, and the fires of Pele burn through the aeons, stirring up the Pacific and shaping our very atmosphere. <laughs> and we um, created the performance that she did with fire and um, the narrative uh, for that performance based on, on her perceptions that came to her about what mm. the meaning of the mask was for her. Right, right. You, you know, I re, uh, Pele, um, Pele seems in a way a little to be a little bit of an elusive goddess. I know even when you go to Hawaii, it's really difficult to find images of her. You know, I, I think some of our contemporary artists have, you know, drawn wonderful wonderful. Uh, pictures of her uh, but it it's it she still feels kind of elusive you know she's you don't see her face plastered everywhere like you might find you know an Isis or an Athena or a Mary or a Bridget you know she's uh she's a little bit harder to see and um but I but I like what that woman evoked you know because it's I think, you know, in our patriarchal culture, the goddesses tend to get so marginalized. And, uh, you know, Pele, oh, well, you know, she's just this fire goddess. But no, you know, it, it, when that woman embodied Pele, you know, she it, it, it's almost as if she... Um, uh, she spoke. She spoke for Pele, you know. Uh, you know, let, let Pele have her, have her voice. Well, Pele is a spirited place. 
um, you know, and she's a force of nature. Um, I think, you know, so many, of, not all the goddesses <laughs> are, 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 are all that humanized, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the goddesses arise out of place and uh, forces of nature. Um, they are, are um, what the Romans called numina, mm. numen which was uh, genus loci, the spirit of place. In fact, um, before the Romans absorbed Greek ideas, um, they, um, you know, of course they were very agricultural, and um, their deities were mainly the numina, these um, spirits of place. They were the, the, the spirit of, of the orchard, the spirit of, of a, a sacred spring, um, you know, and, and uh, very simple little shrines and continual offerings were made, you know, to bring them into balance with these um, protectors, guardians, and collaborators. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, uh, you reminded me of the Egyptians, you know, the, god- the gods and goddesses were cosmic forces, you know, they called the Nidaru, right. you know. Oh. Um you know, so yeah, it's yeah, like you said, we have really personalized the gods and goddesses, but the ancients really saw deity, um, I think, much differently. Well, we become more um, human centric. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're pretty much exclusively human centric at this point, to our own um, uh, great danger. Good point. Uh, <laughs> well, now. <laughs> So now, masks of the goddess. Aside from that being the topic of the show, that's actually the name of your project, right? That's sort of the name of the. Um, oh, how would you say that? You know, it, it was your traveling show was called Masks of the Goddess. Is that right? Well, the Masks of the Goddess is a collection. I, I actually have more than twenty-five masks now, and. Um, you know, over the years, some have had to be retired, um, you know, uh, and I've made new ones. I get new images of what masks need to be made. People will suggest something to me. Um, so that's the name of the collection. Um, I'm not really performing myself much these days, but um, the masks are always available to groups that want to use them. I, I need to hear what their plans are and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I archive uh, the performances, I archive the stories, I archive the interviews, I archive the photographs, I archive the videos. Um, I, you know, at this point, it's it's an entirely collaborative project. I make masks, but everything else about it um, includes many, many different people. Right, who right. For oh, almost 15 years now, have um, contributed, used the masks, I feel that it's um, it's a wonderful process that we've all developed, and I would like to see it continue. You know, I could so see you at the head of a performing arts theater with a museum off to the side that housed your collection of archives. You know, uh, would, oh. wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't that just wouldn't that just be uh, oh so incredible? Um, so, oh, I love it. Unfortunately, we've we've been guerrilla about it for many years. But 
So, so Lauren, will travel. <laughs> <laughs> so Lauren, that process of making the mask. I mean, you said like when the when people borrow a mask for a performance, they may sit with it for a few months to, you know, sort of become one with it. I guess. It, it, do you have a process, something like that, yourself it, before you make it? I mean, do you have to sort of marinate? over it for a while? I mean, do you wait for divine guidance? I mean, how does that happen for you? Is there a process? Well, there is a process for how we work with groups, although that can vary uh, when we're doing uh, a ritual theater event. Um, We've been somewhat inspired by Greek theater, uh, at least I have, uh, and Maka Nightmare, Ann Waters, uh, Mana Youngbear, all uh, all uh, collaborators of mine and colleagues who've worked with the mass. Um, we um, will often, uh, well, well, for example, I'll bring the collection in, I'll put it in a circle, and interested people who are interested in participating in the event will come, and um, I'll ask them to sit by a mask uh, that they feel an affinity with. And then I often do um, a guided meditation. I take them into an underground space, and we see if um, there's a response. I ask them to see if the goddess comes and speaks to them, gives them a gift, indicates anything. That that is uh, often very moving and surprising. Um, And at a certain point, uh, if people feel committed to the project, they will take the mask home and uh, meditated on it, put it in their altar, um, try moving in it in front of a mirror. And from that point, we'll go forward. Um, I have a good body of narratives for the different goddesses. Um, I invite participants to write narratives, uh, if they, you know, to keep a journal. Um and uh, when we actually do the performance, we often use the Greek chorus. Like we'll have uh, three or more narrators, which can be very effective. Um, you have uh, voices speaking alone and then in chorus and uh, some kind of lights. And then the person who is performing with the mask is invoking the goddess. Um, so works pretty well. <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing this. Are you going to be doing something like that at Goddess Spirit Rising in October uh, down here in uh, Simi so. Valley? I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I hope I, so. I'm still um, waiting to hear from people who might be interested in participating. Good, good, good. I I would so love to see what you put together. Um, it, it just it just sounds wonderful. Um, so you 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 touched on before how say you know maybe a woman could take an Aphrodite mask and you know heal herself uh, through it. What would be some other um, ways a, a woman might find a mask helpful? Well, uh, again, like I said, exploring the archetypes. Um, you know. There are so many ways that uh, these um, parts of ourselves are disregarded, unseen, uh, pushed under, forgotten. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. To wear a mask uh, of Aphrodite or Artemis, uh, to do that in the context of a ritual, working with a group, uh, sharing, you know, kind of your your um, experiences, your thoughts, your process, creating sacred space uh, is very powerful. Um, I remember I had a woman who, um, oh, she had a PhD and she was a, a busy professional woman and um, she was in her 50s and um, she worked with the, the mask of Artemis and uh, she said, you know, that she just found it so wonderful to reconnect with her wild self. <laughs> that by working with the mask, um, really working with it and trying to understand and let that essence come into her, not just in the context of the ritual, but in the context of her personal life, keeping a journal about her experience as she prepared for that ritual she said she really felt like that essence came back into her. She reconnected yeah. with some part of herself, some girl that ran free in the woods uh, that she had lost contact with. Mm. And that's what Artemis was to her. Right, the one who right. speaks to the animals. The one who speaks to the trees. So powerful. So powerful. I, I mean, I'm thinking as a Sekhmet priestess myself, you know, the idea of a Sekhmet mask. Um, you know, especially maybe for a woman who hasn't found her sacred roar yet, you know, uh, to be able to to wear this powerful feline mask and, you know, then start to feel that that tenacity, that strength, that courage, you know, start to find that backbone that, you know, especially, you know, for women in our culture, maybe we've been marginalized or told, you know, like children, you know, we're better seen and not heard or... I mean, all the horrible things, you know, women hear, uh, you know, in a patriarchal culture that keeps them, you know, keeps us in line, kind of. Um, you know, that could be a, a, a powerful way to, um, uh, you know, to bring, you know, to bring that into oneself that uh, it, it almost, I guess, here's, here's what it is for me. I'm thinking it's almost as if the mask gives you encouragement and permission, you know, um, that it's just a little subtle thing. I mean, not that the masks are little well, or subtle, I, but... Well, I, I agree. Yeah, it, it gives you permission. There's a conscious and an unconscious aspect to the arising of that. Um, and uh, but, but there's a mystery, too, and I say that with a capital M, you know, I mean, we need to remember that masks uh, throughout human history and still in indigenous cultures like in Africa or South American masks are regarded as power objects, transformative objects. They're, they're, you know, they have an intrinsic power to them. And um, I guess for me, um, that's part of it too. When you invoke a goddess, as they say, uh, if you build it, she will come. <laughs> and not always in ways that, you know, can be explained in um, psychological or rational ways. Cause you or are even language. Because you're a collective entity here. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like, if you've had a mystical experience, I mean, it's hard to even language it sometimes, but you know what you feel. 
and um, you know, and and sometimes they're just are not words, you know. Um, Let me give you a story real quick. I'll try not to drag on too much, but um, in 2002, I I traveled a lot. Um, and my friend Mana Youngbear was uh, bringing, she had the collection and she was going to do a performance uh, ritual theater event uh, with a group of women at the Black Box Theater in Oakland, California. And um, I was living in a motor home and I was just going to, you know, come and watch the performance. I had no idea what she was going to be doing. Um, I came about three weeks prior to her event. Um, I was staying in a, you know, mobile court in Vallejo. And um, anyway, a couple weeks uh, before Mana's event, I was invited to go to um, a cosmic mass devoted to the Divine Feminine uh, that was uh, at the Ritual Center uh, that was Matthew Fox in the University of Creation Spirituality. And um, I, you know, I, I, was, I just went and... Um, it was very powerful. Uh, there was music. Uh, there was a um, woman uh, theologian, I can't remember her name, who did a, a very uh, moving meditation uh, talking about the suppression of the divine feminine. She was talking about the burning times. The lights were lowered. Uh, you know, it was very heavy and very sad and very moving, and it was about grieving. And so I'm sitting in this darkened room with about 300 people, and and people are sobbing all around me, and I've got my eyes closed. And I see this woman in a Native American dress, you know, with the fringe, and uh, she's got an ear of corn in either hand, and she's standing right in front of me, and she's dancing. And, you know, hey, ah, hey, ah, you know, dancing with the corn, like she's four feet away from me. And I'm like, what? You know, I open my eyes and here I am in this dark room with 300 people and everybody's weeping and I close my eyes again and there she is. And I'm thinking, what does this have to do with this, you know? But it was very magical, so I, I just had that meditation and when it was all over... That image was very strong in my mind, so I went back to my motorhome and um, pulled out some materials. And the next couple of days, I just felt, wow, okay, I'm going to make a mask. It's about this corn mother that I saw. So I did. I made a mask um, with two ears of corn on either side of this Native American face, and I put a rainbow um, in the crown because, to me, um, the rainbow is about the the rainbow tribe, and uh, well, anyway, and I was very pleased with it. So um, I called up Maka, uh, Mana, and uh, I said, "How are you doing?" And um, you know, I I made this new mask. I had this experience, and um, I found out that there was one person in her cast that did not have a mask, and this was a woman named Christy Salo who was going to be um, performing a piece that she had written and a dance about the Cherokee corn mother called Selu. (laughs) (laughs) And she didn't have a mask, but she wanted to perform this piece anyway. Wow. um, 
And I said, well, I guess, Mana, that she's got her mask now. <laughs> you wow. know, so that really happened to us. And, uh, you know, how do, that's a mystery with a capital M. I mean, that's when you know you've touched into some kind of sacred ground. And, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. It's not just you. <laughs> Well, Lauren, um, this is this has been extraordinary. I, I want to thank you. Um, but before I let you go, um, is there anything you wanted to share about the mask making or the masks that I haven't um, I haven't thought to ask? Well, no, I think we pretty much covered it. I, I'm very grateful that you've allowed me this time to speak. And uh, oh, you are, are so, so deserving. Good. <laughs> so deserving well, your work you so is inc- inc- incredible and and listeners you know um I like all my guests but you know some stand heads and shoulders above the rest and honestly please go to Lauren's website uh masksofthegoddess.com or laurenrain.com look at her incredible work um and uh, and order a mask <laughs> oh. um <laughs> So, well, I look forward to seeing you later in the year. I hope maybe at the uh, at the Parliament or at the Goddess Conference. It would I, I I so hope you get chosen to do something at the Parliament with your masks. I mean, what a gift that would be for everyone. Well, that would be with colleagues, um, you know. But uh, I'm, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to see you there. Okay. Well, and we, I, you know, we shall look forward to it. We will have fun, um, whether we get chosen or not to give a talk. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, an important thing, and I think we need to carry the Great Mother there, don't you? Oh, I think so. I think so. I think one this way or is another. The, yes, this is our time, and I mean, the theme is about women and the earth, and um, I, I can't think of a, a you know a better time for us to. Um, as you say, you know, carry carry the mother there and uh, let, you know, we can be her voice. Well, thank you, You're Lauren. Right. Thank you so much. And uh, just know that uh, your work is so appreciated and it's so important uh, in the world. And um, I, I, I think it's nothing short of glorious. And thank you for the masks oh. you made for me. I, I really, really appreciate them. Well, thank you, Karen. And I'll have to work on a segment mask. <laughs> or an or an Artemis mask. <laughs> no, I got if, one of those already. Oh, you do. I will. But I will. Have maybe to. I should read that. I I need to read that book. I'm sure it'll give me a new visioning. <laughs> well, you know, James. Um, I I hope I'm not. I I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. He uh, you know, he has talked about uh, how he visions uh, Artemis, and uh, he sees her with. Um, uh, you know, that she had sort of appears in sort of a purplish haze of a light, and she's got these dark uh, black braids that are wrapped around her head, and she's got sort of these almond eyes with very distinct eyebrows and a, a, a really strong nose. Um, it, it sounds very Greek, you know, uh, you know, very Greek. But anyway, uh, that's uh, that's how we have put her in the meditation that's going to happen during the uh, during the Artemis ritual. You know how he actually has seen her. Um, so anyway, whatever that's worth. <laughs> well, I wish I could be there. Well, you know, maybe you know, maybe we can think about actually videotaping it. We'll um, we'll have to see. You know, he may want it for the archives. You never know. So, well, thank you, Lauren. Thank you so very much for your time tonight, and uh, thank you for your work in the world. Thanks, thanks 
To you too, Karen. Okay, good night. Good night. Well, we are crossing the threshold into the second half of the show, and I want to thank everyone for staying with me. And uh, I'm wondering, how are your manifestation and gratitude experiments we spoke about last week coming along? Make sure you email me and let me know. And um, I have a few reminders, and then I'm going to be reading the short essay. I can hear her breathing, and as I said, it's not a fiction piece, so stay tuned if that piques your curiosity. Uh, I owe uh, Joe Carson uh, a commercial here, so uh, here it goes. This is for Joe Carson, Dancing with Gaia. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chronic mind the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected, they were together, that there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. That's the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, dancingwithgaia.com, that's where you can go to find out uh, more about this uh, wonderful documentary and the mini book that comes with it. Um, Lots of uh, scholars and uh, practitioners are uh, part of this film, and uh, it's really a good tool to um, have one... Uh, discover how to connect with nature, to reconnect with our sacred sexuality. You know, Christianity robbed humanity of its connection to nature, of its sacred sexuality. And, uh, you know, we can't let that continue. We have to restore it. We can't remain um, uh, shackled to those uh, taboos that really serve none of us. In fact, uh, just sort of um, wound wound humanity, wound, uh, uh, you know, you know, wound our spirit, wound what is, uh, what is natural. So dancingwithgaia.com, Joe Carson. Thank you, Joe. Um, I wanted to share a couple quotes here uh, that I think uh, bear repeating. Uh, one comes from Donna. Uh, I want to thank her for sharing this with me, and I'm sharing it with you. Uh, it's from Albert Einstein. And he said, the most beautiful and most profound emotion we can experience is the sensation of the mystical. It is the sower of all true science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. To know that what is impenetrable to us really exists, manifesting itself as the highest wisdom and the most radiant beauty which our dull faculties can comprehend only in their primitive forms. This knowledge, this feeling, is at the center of true religiousness. It's Albert Einstein. And um, Paulo Freire said, 
Washing one's hands of the conflict between the powerful and the powerless means to side with the powerful, not be neutral. Think about that. Next time somebody says, I don't care about politics, I don't care about these crazy people who are forcing their will on other people or, uh, or making laws that uh, take people's rights away, uh, don't, don't pretend you can be neutral because in being neutral, you are effectively siding with the powerful against the powerless. In Cornell West, Ph.D., he said, justice is love made public. I like that. Justice is love made public. Um, I also want to remind you that uh, we have the Sacred Tour to Turkey coming up in May. I talked a little bit about it at the beginning when I was singing the praises of my co-leader, James Reedfeld, in his new book uh, on Artemis of uh, the Ephesians. Uh, We are leaving May 22nd. We uh, won't be able to take more than 20 women uh, and men uh, because we want it to be a personal experience. And uh, when the group gets too big, you know, it's it's hard for to do ritual and, uh, um, you know, maybe talk about dreams and things like that. It gets unwieldy. Uh, but we will be going to uh, Anatolia, as Turkey was once called. Anatolia, roughly translated, means land of the nourishing mothers. And uh, so it is. I mean, Turkey is uh, like a melting pot. It was at the crossroads of cultures. Uh, There are temples there to Isis, Demeter, Kubaba. Have you heard of Kubaba? Uh, To Mary, to Aphrodite, Uh, an incredible place. Uh, We will be doing ritual at sacred sites. Uh, The food is delicious. Um, You know, Turkey is not on the euro yet, so your money spends well. the whirling dervishes, Turkish dances, uh, Turkish baths, uh, being able to walk down the street and go to a sidewalk vendor that squeezes fresh pomegranate juice. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, I don't know why that that just tickles me so much, but it really does. I am so looking forward to that. Um, And you know what? If I dare say so myself, there is no better a pair to travel to Turkey with than myself and Dr. Riedfeld. Um, I kind of call us uh, the the priestess and the scholar. (laughs) So you get the best of both worlds. If you're a history buff, if you're a goddess advocate, if you're a practitioner, uh, I think this is a great tour for you. Um, 16 days doing ritual in some of her sacred places. I mean, remember... Uh, Artemis' temple, where we will be standing, where we will be doing ritual, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So if you're interested or have questions, uh, please let me know, and sooner rather than later. And if you like what I'm doing here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, please help me. Um, uh, Please support my work and the show. And you can do that uh, by doing uh, one or more of several things. You can go to my website at karentate.com. You can uh, go to the Goddess Store page and uh, scroll down. You can buy a book. You can make a donation of any amount, and no amount is too small. Um, You know, you can always order a book on Amazon, but uh, then I get probably pennies, where if you order the book directly from me, um, you know, then I actually get paid uh, for writing the book. And... um, 
And, uh, you know, and I think we have to realize that corporations like Amazon, uh, more often than not, they fund conservative causes that uh, often are not in the best interest of the 99%. Um, you know, they are the ones paying politicians to write laws that exploit workers. So uh, Amazon takes a big chunk of the profits, as I understand it, and leaves really the crumbs left for the author and the publisher to split. Uh, we will probably look back in history and uh, see that they were instrumental in helping the publishing business um, you know, see its demise and what a sad uh, day that would be. So um, I uh, promised you that I would read this, um, this essay that I wrote, and um, it was inspired by an actual experience that I had when I went to Wisconsin to present a weekend workshop. And uh, I will count this among one of the most profound experiences I have had in my life. I mean, we don't have experiences like this, I don't think, real, real often. You know, we probably can count them on both, you know, both of our hands, maybe 10 times in a lifetime if, if we're lucky. So anyway, um, let me just get to it and uh, you can hear uh, what I'm talking about. And uh, before I do, though, I want to just uh, tell you, um, uh, Arundhati Roy, uh, I found a quote of hers uh, after I'd had this experience, and I thought, oh, how appropriate, because uh, it sort of reflects what I'm about to share with you. But her quote goes like this. It says, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. I, I I just hair stood on back my neck when I read that quote um, because of my experience that I had had uh, a year or two before I read that quote. So anyway, let me let me let me read you the essay uh, that I've titled "I Can Hear Her Breathing." When I read that quote for the first time, that one I just told you about, the breath caught in my throat and the hair stood up on the back of my neck as I remembered. I had been invited to Wisconsin to present at a weekend workshop, which turned out to be a more than wonderful experience. I went there thinking I was going up there to teach these women the workshop material, but the sharing and activities I participated in were a beautiful reciprocal dance. Besides the bonding and the fun, issues I never quite had been able to banish from my psyche had dispersed in the safety of the ritual the night before, and I was feeling light and open and gloriously happy and fulfilled. As the weekend came to a close and the time to drive back to the airport was drawing near, I grabbed a few moments of solitary time behind the dormitory where we were staying, located about 100 yards off a serene and shining lake. Between the lake and the dorm, trees had been planted in a circle with barely two or three feet of space between their trunks and inside the circle was a bench. I was drawn within the circle, desiring a few moments of quiet contemplation in what felt like nature's embrace, you know, on the bench that was with the trees around it. As I sat there enjoying a cool breeze on my cheeks, glimpsing the reflection of the sun on the lake between the trunks before me, I suddenly realized I heard a rhythmic breathing, in and out, 
in and out? Where was it coming from? In my mind, I began a process of elimination. I held my own breath for a few moments, thinking perhaps here in this small space, among this odd configuration of trees, maybe I was hearing the echo of my own breath. But no, no, it it wasn't me. I looked around to make sure there was no one else there, perhaps just beyond my initial line of sight. No, I wasn't hearing anyone. There was no one there. No, I, I wasn't hearing the incoming tide of the lake. I sat there mesmerized as I listened. No, the sound was coming from this very spot where I sat. Dare I even utter the next thoughts that crossed my mind? It was as if I were sitting within the body of goddess and I was hearing her breathing. This was incredulous, but I was going to go with it and just listen, just feel, just receive. I soaked in the magic of this moment in this sacred space. The hair stood up on back my neck and arms. I felt that familiar cold chill up my spine, and my tears turned into sobs of joy. What a powerful and emotional experience. In hindsight, many of us might speak in metaphor, as perhaps the novelist and activist Arundhati Roy is uh, had spoke uh, as I mentioned before, about Gaia or the coming new paradigm of the sacred feminine. But this was different. This experience went beyond metaphor or even feeling inspired in some natural landscape. This wasn't merely equating the ebb and flow of the ocean tides with her breath as we attempt to personify her and embrace her mysteries. This felt as if it were another phenomena of a dimension I had yet to experience. Was I crazy to even contemplate hearing the inhaling and exhaling of our mother? Well, sometimes we just have to shut off that left brain and just feel her incredible gifts. Stop questioning. Turn off the inner skeptic. Those few minutes sitting in that sacred grove in Wisconsin will no doubt be some of the most profound and magical minutes of my life. Thank you, Mother. Thank you for that precious gift. I heard you breathing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (sighs) Well, I like to read that every now and again and uh, just remember, you know, Sometimes when it feels like we're busy pushing that boulder uphill and and things uh, are difficult and challenging, um, you know, it's those sorts of moments that uh, that really that really make it all worthwhile. So, um, well, that will about do it uh, for me tonight, dear listeners. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in every week. Uh, as I say, and I mean, you are the gas in my tank, uh, keeping me going. 
I hope you will uh, go to my website and check out my books, uh, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. You can actually use it to take goddess pilgrimages, uh, whether you're in the United States or uh, other on other continents. Uh, Walking an Ancient Path is a great book uh, that tells you how you can incorporate goddess uh, into your life, into your community. Um, Goddess Calling is inspirational. It has lots of meditations in it, too. It, uh, I think it, people have said it's comfort food in troubled times, and I've gotten lots of good response from that. And uh, the last uh, book that came out uh, right around Christmas time, the anthology, which is based on the radio show here, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape the World, I have to tell you, it has gotten incredible reviews for the diversity and powerful essays uh, from the women and men who have been on my show and who contributed uh, to that book. I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. And I uh, will offer you a special deal. Uh, if you buy one, uh, two of my new books, whether it's Two Goddess Calling or or uh, Two Voices of the Sacred Feminine or one of each, I will throw in free, yes, totally free, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. So you buy two, you get one free. Just say you heard me mention it on the show tonight, uh, and it will be yours. Uh, so you can email me um, or go to my um uh, go to well, that would probably be the best way to do it. Uh, email me. Or go to my Facebook page. Uh, just mention the offer tonight, and uh, I'll get your address. We'll let you pay on PayPal or send a check, however you want to do it. And um, you know what a good deal. All right. Well, that about does it for tonight, and uh, I will be back with you uh, next week. I will actually be. Um, I forget who my guest is next week, so I can't actually tell you off the top of my head. I believe it's actually Kara Cooney who just wrote the uh, wonderful book on Queen uh, Hatshepsut. Um, She may be with me next Thursday night. I think uh, that's actually who I have next. But uh, if you uh, click the follow button on my radio show, uh, you know, page here, the show page for Voices of the Sacred Feminine, if you click that follow button, you will get notice of the shows. Or if you send me your email uh, address, you will um, get notices via email. Uh, or you can just go to my Facebook page. Oftentimes I um, have the shows uh, posted there as well. So lots of ways to find me. Uh, I am easy to find. So um, good night again, and I will close with uh, some music. Let's see, what shall it be tonight? Why don't we do something funny and light? Celia, uh, one of the uh, artists on the show, she... um, has a has, I think it's called Pretty in Pink uh, album and uh, kind of you know racy little things uh, naughty in pink not pretty in pink naughty in pink and um, just let's see okay I'm I'm just gonna do it this one is uh, Celia's song called Phoebe's Jesus from her Naughty in Pink album and it is kind of naughty but it is fun. So I play this uh, so it will put a smile on your face. 
And here goes Phoebe's Jesus by Celia from her Naughty in Pink album. Good night, good night, good night. Have a wonderful weekend. And you know what? Make sure you watch those domestic violence um, ads for the Super Bowl. Uh, I think that's a great thing, a great thing. I just hope that the NFL follows it up uh, with actually holding uh, their players accountable uh, and, um, you know, that there actually will be penalties for committing domestic violence. But this is a good start. So watch for those, uh, watch for those commercials during Super Bowl, uh, or I'm sure people will be playing them later. You want to catch them because they're, they're really powerful and good. But here's Phoebe's Jesus by Celia from her Naughty in Pink album. Good night. Hello, I'm the Trestlefoot Fairy, and this song is dedicated to my Aunt Phoebe, who is a very nice Christian, except she really isn't very nice. Don't mess with Phoebe's Jesus, she gets flustered easily. But if you've got a friend in Jesus, then you can befriend Phoebe. But if you breathe the word of goddess or say Buddha is the best, she grows horns, her eyes turn red, and she will fight you to the death. But Phoebe's Jesus is all good, and if you dare to disagree, Phoebe's Jesus will calm down and he will smack the upside the head. But I am so confused, because I thought Jesus was this dude who taught love and tolerance.